On October 9, 2023, 99% of the Writers Guild of America voted to ratify its new contract, officially bringing the writer's strike to an end. Variety explains that the WGA ended its strike on September 27th after WGA boards voted to submit the tentative agreement to the membership for ratification. Some writers in the ratified contract include regulations for the use of artificial intelligence, increased health and pension contribution rate, increased compensation for series employment, and requirements regarding the minimum number of writers who must be hired and the duration of their employment for development rooms and regular writers as rooms for television. In wake of WGA's tentative agreement with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers earlier this month, I spoke with WGA member and Middle Eastern Writers Committee, or MEWC, Vice Chair Mano Agapian to learn more about the agreement which ended WGA's strike and MEWC itself, which was created to address the negative depictions of Middle Easterns in TV and film and the historical lack of employment opportunities for Middle Eastern writers, as well as provide a space for community and networking, according to Deadline. Hi, everyone. I'm Mono Gapian, he, they, and I am, yeah, I am a vice chair of the Middle Eastern Writers Committee. Okay, awesome. So, Mono, you're a member of the Writers Guild of America. And before we kind of get into the Middle Eastern Writers Committee, I wanted to touch on that for a second, because after a 148-day work stoppage, the WGA reached a tentative agreement with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, September 24th. So how was this past strike for you? Oh, man, a real test of my mental health. And I think I failed. I don't know if I made it. Um, But it was uh, yeah, it was really challenging. Um, It was somehow both incredibly challenging and incredibly rewarding. I mean, as you know, like, labor movements are really hot right now. And um, people fighting for uh, what they deserve is like, in at the moment. So um, it's been kind of amazing to be part of a labor movement in a time where we see the severe and brutal verticalization of corporations usually winning the day. So it's it's been pretty amazing. It's been harrowing. Okay, great. And Mono, you're a part of the Middle Eastern Writers Committee. And in fact, you're the vice chair of it. Am I correct in saying that? Yes. Um, my, my friends, Cameron Alife and Payman Kalaya, they were the founders. And then I joined, uh, I joined the same year. Uh, I joined, uh, really we, I was so, the timing was crazy because the Writers Guild of America didn't have a Middle Eastern Writers Committee until 2020. Um, so I was able to join right at its inception. Um, so it was, uh, but of course that's kind of classic for Middle Eastern voices kind of we have a real uphill battle in being visible um so I think it's kind of typical that the Writers Guild of America didn't even have a Middle Eastern Writers Committee until 2020 unfortunately yeah that's that's pretty late in the game um I'd, I'd say most people including myself have actually no idea what it's like to be a writer in Hollywood but I've heard stories about the grind and how hard it is to find opportunities. So I imagine you had like ample reason to join the committee. Can you tell me a little bit about that initial motivating factor and why it's important for writers to have access to a committee like that? 
Yes. Um, it's incredibly important. I mean, I think sometimes as a Middle Eastern voice, you feel invisible, unfortunately. Like um, currently in the WGA, Middle Eastern writers make up point. Three percent of all working writers, so we're we're very few and far between, unfortunately, and that has to do with the stories that are being told about Middle Eastern people. You know, unfortunately, the most popular stories being told about Middle Eastern voices are ones of terrorism um, or Islamophobia, and um, we're trying to actively call that out and be present as a force, not only in the Writers Guild of America, but just in entertainment and sort of actively use our presence to educate and create stories that are not super duper derivative. Right. So I've heard that for writers from a minority background, mini rooms pose a particular problem. Can you explain what exactly a mini room is and how this affects opportunities for writers of minority backgrounds? Yes, a mini room. Damn. Mini rooms um, are, are in their simplest form are a way of controlling the budgets of shows. Now, mini rooms can take the form of fewer writers doing more work. Um, or it could also mean the duration of the room. Um, if a room that should regularly need 20 weeks to complete work is given a workload uh, of 20 weeks, but only given 10 weeks to complete it in. So um, mini rooms, uh, of course, are a way for, I mean, capitalism to do its thing and force people to create even more work in less time. And they were really... They really got out of control during COVID times because um, studios and networks were using the added expenses of um, COVID regulations as an excuse to say, unfortunately, this is all we have in the budget. And obviously, as the pandemic continues to uh, stabilize, they have not gone back. You know, they have they have yet to bounce back to the promise of normal room uh, uh, allowances. And I mean, that's typical, right? Because the second they realized they could get more work for less money, they didn't want to go back um, to a model that um, valued our work. So mini rooms are terrible. And um, they're really toxic, a toxic way that forces artists who are writers to create more work in less time. And that's why people are so mad uh, about their proliferation. Right. So I was looking a bit at the tentative agreement and there were some clauses regarding like minimum staff requirements on a series and also some things regarding duration. So was the problem of mini rooms addressed or is that still kind of ongoing? Yeah. Mini rooms, the issue of mini rooms has been mostly addressed. Um, I think as always, you know, artists and writers are scared of how the powers that be could try to um, use loopholes to avoid certain um, uh, obligations. Um, as you may or may not have seen, there's sort of a there's sort of a rolling scale of uh, allowances, basically based on how many episodes your TV show is, um, and uh, how ha it basically gives a minimum for how many writers can be in the room. Uh, additionally, um, there is a minimum requirement of 
mid-level writers be in your room, which is really important because something, again, a toxic loophole that's been um, ex exploited by studios and networks has been sometimes hiring diverse voices and inclusive voices at the lowest level possible. So there's sort of a problem with um, mobility and uh, you know career mobility because people like myself who are queer or Middle Eastern or you know d uh, represent a, a a unique voice have been exploited because it's easy to get jobs at the lowest level because we're cheap at the lowest level but it's harder and harder to frankly build our careers because the people at the top are still the people at the top it's no secret that there is a uh, a male dominated white dominated issue at the top of the entertainment industry and it's very much being mirrored in the way um rooms are built and the way that high level rooms still are dominated by the most Ma majority <laughs> majority type voices to put it kindly generally speaking is the committee happy with the agreement in terms of other clauses and things i would say we're mostly happy i think there is some um there were some requests for like in it, language that um basically guaranteed inclusive hiring in um in rooms that that was not a demand that was met unfortunately um unfortunately that was seen as a lower priority and that is something that gives me some anxiety and i now we have to do our best to um trust that networks and um networks and studios will do the work that we expect them to do in terms of keeping writers rooms and and entertainment in general inclusive but um they we did not we weren't able to secure any language in the contract that said we can guarantee um inclusive hiring and i think you know unfortunately that probably was in an HR um, difficulty, they weren't willing to um, diagnose. But I think it's incredibly incriminating, unfortunately. All right. Well, hopefully progress is made um, on that front. Um, moving forward with the Middle Eastern Writers Committee, where do you guys kind of hope to go from here? What are your guys' goals for the future? Yeah, um... The Middle Eastern Writers Committee is, uh, first of all, it's it's so weird that this this strike brought us all together and it made our voices louder because because we were formed in the pandemic, there were so many Middle Eastern writers I had only known over Zoom. So quite um, quite miraculously, it helped us connect. It helped us meet one another. Helped us connect with each other. So we're we're only growing stronger, and our goals are pretty. They're both simple and complex. I would say quite simple to, to make it simple. We want to tell our stories and we want people to embrace the fact that our stories are your stories. You know, um, whether you are Middle Eastern or not, you know, you can very much connect with our stories that have so much intersection with American stories, you know, um, whether it's an immigrant story or it's not an immigrant story. You know, we just like so many other writers want to be seen for our accomplishments. We want to be seen for the art we create and not just our identity. 
So quite simply put, we are, we are you, <laughs> we are you, and we don't want to be exoticized anymore. And to the exotic, you know, the exoticizing point, we also do want to better educate um, people in the industry that there is so many, um, there are so many people in the MENA identity. There are so many people who are Muslim. There are so many people who, um, identify uniquely in that world. And I, I think one thing we have to educate people on is that like MENA is not Muslim. Muslim is not MENA. Um, and that there are both are beautiful parts of our Middle Eastern heritage, but we need more education, um, to let people know that, those are parts of us. They're not this. They're not equal or the same. Um, and there's just unfortunately there's some education lacking there. Yes. And regarding the strike or the committee, is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to share? Yeah. Um, anything I want to touch? I just want to. Um, I just. I'm. You know, it's so weird. Uh, the only thing I want to share and add to is that I'm very thankful that we're in. A moment in time where we're at least even asking how we can be better. We're, we're curious how we can represent more people. We're eager to give people better representation. Um, the fact that we can even have the conversation that, you know, we need to be more responsible with how we're portraying uh, Mina voices is a conversation we wouldn't even be having 10 years ago. Um, so I'm incredibly thankful that we're doing our best to push forward and really view so many people who are outliers with as much respect as possible. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that. While the WGA agreement has been ratified, production can't resume until the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers reaches an agreement with Actors Union SAG-AFTRA, whose 160,000 members have been on strike since mid-July. Negotiations with the Actors' Union resumed last week and are continuing now, though so far little progress has been made in talks. According to an email sent to SAG-AFTRA members Wednesday night, the industry CEOs left the bargaining table after refusing to counter SAG-AFTRA's latest offer. Thanks for listening. With KCSB News, I'm Zoha Malik.